0: Okay, so we are going chapter by chapter through 1 John. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in 1 John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Calvary Chapel, we like not only to hear the Word of God, but see it. And if you don't have a Bible, please keep the Bible that you get. It's yours as a gift. First John chapter three. I promise we'll get to chapter four someday. And I promise our pace will be quicker when we get there, but I really feel like the Lord has me and chapter three has us in chapter three for a while. So let us again go to verse 16 of chapter 3. It says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, the refining effect that it has in our life, the burning away effect. That it has in our our lives, Lord. We we go through our week and we pick up things that need to be burned away, Lord. Not only Sunday morning in the Word, but every day in the Word. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, as we just as we just sang, please come inside of us. Blow through the caverns of our mind as the song goes, and fill us to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 23, which we finish up with, says, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandments. Again, oh, is the Apostle John serious about this loving one another thing. Time and time again, actually 13 times by my count, John in this short letter is telling us in the most direct way, in the most in-your-face way, love one another. And I should say that he is not the only apostle, the only New Testament writer to emphasize this point. Paul, the apostle Paul in his letters... Let me just quote just from one book, really just one chapter, maybe one and a half chapters. Romans chapter 12 says this. So we, brothers and sisters in Christ, are one body in Christ, members of one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Verse 10 chapter 12 of Romans. In honor, give preference to one another. Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Romans thirteen eight. 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another fulfills the law. All that just in a chapter and a half in Romans. Listen to the apostle Peter. He says this. Again, just a little over one chapter. This is chapter 3 and 4 of 1 Peter. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Chapter 4, verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love. That word fervent, we studied that. It means stretching. Have stretching, fervent love for one another. Be hospitable. To one another without grumbling, chapter 4, verse 9. And then verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. That's Peter, the Apostle Peter. James, and again, just about one chapter, starting in chapter 4, verse 11, says, do not speak evil of one another. Verse 12, who are you to judge? One another. Do not grumble against one another. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. So, Paul, Peter, James, and John, so serious about this loving one another thing. Why? Now, we discussed that the last couple of Sundays. If you weren't here, you may want to grab the CDs. But the reason they are so serious about this loving one another thing is that when you love, when you love you, and you love you, and you love you, when you do that, you are giving a picture of what Jesus did on the cross for the world. And when the world is watching you love one another, they're watching a picture of, of the cross. Now, this is kind of a mystery. Jesus goes even further in John 17. He says, When you love one another, the world will believe that the Father sent his Son. Now, I don't totally get that. But in addition, The Bible says, and we've been through this, is that when the world watches you love one another, they're watching a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. What do I mean by that again? Love, the Bible says, before anything else is the Son of God dying on a cross. The more we read the Bible, the more we let go of other ideas we have about love. We are, we are just a, they're just a, a shadow Our ideas about love that we pick up in the world. Just a shadow of what love really is. Love, the real deal, is the Son of God dying on a cross. That's what love is. First John 3.16, where we began. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. What is love? It's Jesus, the Son of God, dying on a cross. Again, verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. God the Father took the indescribably horrific ugliness of all humanity's sin, past, present, and future, and he placed it on his son. Now, just let that sink in. I mean, you think of the sin this week alone, just the last two days alone, ISIS, pulling up into an Iraqi city where it's 95 degrees out, scorching weather. They pull up in an ice truck filled with bombs. People come running to the ice truck to get some relief, and they detonate detonate the bombs, and 150 people die. In Southeast Asia, in Myanmar, I've been reading the last week, A genocide of that country's Muslim community. Wiping out a race and religion of people. Getting rid of them. Going on right now. And of course our homegrown thing in the United States, the KKK rolling into South Carolina and just spewing out all their hatred. That's just snippets of two days. Is it any wonder that in the book of Luke, in chapter 22, that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his arrest, it says his sweat became like great drops of blood. Hematidrosis. It's a medical condition where the capillaries in your sweat glands rupture in a period of extreme emotional distress. Happened to Jesus. Is it any wonder why his suffering was so intense, knowing that all sin and the guilt and punishment associated it with it was going to be placed on him. Knowing full well the holiness of his father, that the wrath of God was going to be satisfied, the justice of God would be satisfied, being poured out on him rather than on you, on you. And me. Can anyone Anything on earth else be described as love, with that in mind? No. Again, First John: 3:16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, and this is where we've been the last couple weeks, you loving each other means you laying down your life for each other, not a literal physical death in 99.9% of the cases, but a laying down of your life. I'm going to disregard what I want and what I need so that I can give this brother or sister what they want or need. Laying down your life. You show the world when you do that a picture of the gospel story. Jesus laying down his life for mankind, so we uh looked at this verse in first corinthians second uh, corinthians four ten this crazy verse we are always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What on earth does that mean well this is that's what it means laying it, the context of that verse that's the apostle Paul saying that is him being persecuted, crushed and 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 knocked down be in his service of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, we carry around the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus. And and, and what he means by that is when people look at his, when they look at your life, where you're really laying it down for a brother, sister in Christ, they're seeing the dying of the Lord Jesus. You're telling the gospel story so that when you open your mouth, and actually tell the gospel to them, the good news, that they've been separated from God because of their sin. The penalty for their sin is death, but Jesus died for them. It'll all make so much sense because they've seen your life doing the same thing, dying, laying down your life. So that is why in the night before he died, Jesus shared these words with Jesus his disciples. Again, he said, a new commandment, this is the night before his crucifixion, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, how did he love them? Anyone, shout it out. He died for them. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the old commandment was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment, love another as I have loved you. The wonderful thing about the Jesus' words, a new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, it didn't just go in one disciple's ear and out the other, in one ear and out the other of his disciples, man, did they drive it home? Again, we already saw Paul love one another, love one another, love one another, Peter. Love one another, love one another, love one another, James. Love one another, love one another, love one another. And then the apostle John, he not only does the same thing, but he takes it to another level, man. Those other guys, they died in the middle age. He died when he was 90. By the time he writes this letter, he's an apostle of love, but let me tell you, he's tired of hypocrites. He's tired of people playing church. He's tired of it. And, and he has a holy kind of anger. Most anger is not righteous. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, but there is an anger, rarely, that man can have which is righteous, and, and you sense that from John, and more or less what he's saying, uh, several times, man, he gets Boston and blunt, he gets Holy Spirit blunt, actually, in, in, in chapter two of this letter, again in chapter three, and again in the next chapter, chapter four, in so many words, he says, listen, if you're not loving each other, you're not a Christian. Can we just be black and white? Oh, oh, man. Does that offend the way that we do church? (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 19. Says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. What does that mean? By this we know whether or not we're a Christian. That's what he's saying. That's what he means. By this we know that we are of the truth. By this, by what? By whether we love one another. By this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him, meaning the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our relationship, is when we're out loving one another. The Bible says that when we were saved, it says the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts. And so a confirmation of our salvation is when we're loving one another. We ended last week in verses 20 and 21, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things, beloved, but if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Now, as I said last week, these verses actually, I believe, have been widely misinterpreted and Uh, I wanted to spend a little bit more time last week. Uh, I'll spend just a little bit more this week uh, just to explain what he's talking about here. Verse 19, this we know. Rather, verse 20, if our heart condemns us. As I mentioned last week, if you do a word study of the underlying Greek word for condemn there, the Greek word that's usually used for condemn throughout the New Testament is a different word. This one's Different. The underlying word is it's it's the word katagnosko, which means it's talking about knowledge. It's mean it, what it means is talking about really conscience here, the conscience of doing something wrong. So one translation says this: First John three twenty. Uh, this is the um, the Living Bible translation. But with if we have a bad conscience and feel that we have done wrong. The Lord will surely feel if we even more, for he knows everything we do. So um, remember, the whole subject is love. So the idea of this verse is if you're holding on to some unforgiveness to another brother or sister, some sister in Christ, or bitterness, or you're not actively loving them and serving them like you know you should your conscience is going to start bugging you, but your problem is bigger than your conscience. Your problem really is with God because um, this is a big, big issue with God. If your conscience is telling you this, well, you better believe God knows it because God knows all things. That's what this verse is talking about. Now, the good news is is then what, when our conscience, when, when we realize there's some bitterness or unforgiveness towards another brother or sister, or there's a, an area of our life where we know we should be actively loving and we're not. 1 John nine. it says what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's grace for that. But we need to, and John's saying, you better believe you need to and I need to, make an adjustment. You don't just ask for forgiveness and stay the same. God accepts you just the way you are always, but he loves you too much to let you stay like that. So then he goes on and he says, but beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, meaning if we're out loving one another, the way our conscience knows we're supposed to, the way the Bible says that we're supposed to, we're going to have confidence before God. What kind of confidence? That's what verses 22 and 23 are about. Listen carefully as we read together. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now that is Confidence. Would you call that confidence? I would. That is confidence. Again verse 20 says if our heart uh, rather verse 21 says beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence towards God. And what is that confidence? That whatever we ask we receive from him. Because we keep his commands and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus did for us, what he, that he died for us, that he rose again from the dead for us, and that we love one another. Now again, please pay close attention to what these verses say. They say that you can have no confidence of answered prayer if you're not loving one another. They say that. You can have no confidence of answered prayer if you're not loving one another. The flip side of that coin is if you are actively loving one another, And oh man, has it been the experience of our church in this ministry that I've seen this. If you're actively loving one another, you can have confidence that you will receive what you have asked for in prayer. It's the word of God. I know it makes us bristle. We don't like this kind of responsibility, do we? Now I want to pause here and i want to share some thoughts that i feel like the lord has has really been speaking to me about and i want to share them with you about a grievous evil that has crept into the church of the united states of america and it actually it recently hit home the uh, consequence of this uh, this evil has recently hit home in a very tragic way in my, my very own family. Be a little patient with me. It's gonna, I'm going to bring it around <laughs> to the first John 3 teaching, but it's going to take a while. Again, it has to do with a grievous evil. And, and, and what I mean by that, a subtle twist, a sneaky, perverted twist in teaching about grace In the church in the United States of America. Now, Grace, Calvary Chapel in the city, we teach grace. And I can't tell you how much feedback we have received over the years from men and women that we open up their eyes to grace, the teaching on grace. What is the teaching? Let me briefly tell you what the teaching on on grace is. Grace, what is it? What is grace? Louder. Getting what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. Now, people sometimes use the words grace and mercy, sometimes interchangeably. uh, But actually, mercy is a subset of grace. Mercy is not getting the punishment that you deserve. That's mercy. Grace is not only that. It is that, but it's so much more. It's not, it, it, grace is not only not getting the punishment you deserve, it's getting a blessing instead of a punishment. That's grace. We don't get that. We don't get that thing. We, we, we're, we grow up thinking that we, we, we earn. Everything we get, we have to earn it. And if we make a mistake, if we veer off to the right or the left, man, we get punished for it. So we don't understand grace, and when we come to the Lord, we have to uh, be deprogrammed from the ungrace of the world. Grace. Getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. Grace, not only not getting the punishment you deserve, it's getting a blessing instead. Quick illustration. You're walking down the street. A complete stranger doesn't like your clothes and you're wearing, so he knocks you up the side of your head. That's what he does. Mercy is not calling the cops or filing charges against him or her. Won't be sexist up here. Grace is not only not calling the cops and filing charges against him, it's inviting him over to your house and cooking dinner for him. That's grace. And you say, well, that's foolish, and that's crazy, and that's unwise. Who would ever do that? God would. In fact, he did it with you. In fact, he's already done it. You have knocked God upside the head a thousand times by violating his law and choosing your own way over his a thousand times plus You know, God's holy. He is El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Knocking God Almighty upside the head a thousand times is a serious thing. The Bible says you deserve death and hell. Eternal judgment for that. He's God Almighty. You don't just whop God Almighty upside the head. You don't do that. Death and hell is what you deserve. And though it's what you deserve, God loves you and sent his only son to die for you to take your punishment away. That's mercy. But God didn't stop with mercy. He raised his son from the dead who now knocks on the door of your heart. If you open the door, he will come in and he will have that dinner with you. That's what the Bible says, Revelation 3:20. I, this is Jesus speaking. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with them and he with me. That's grace. That's grace. We teach at Calvary Chapel in the city, that when you open the door of your heart and you make Jesus your Lord, he comes into your life, and, and through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, you become as clean, as perfect, and as blameless, as pure as you will ever be for all eternity at that moment, at the moment of faith, when you ask Christ to come and take over the throne of your life, and you get off at yourself, and he comes on, you're as perfect and blameless as that, at that moment in the eyes of God as you ever will be for all eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. That's grace. Colossians one twenty two says this. You who were alienated and enemies, now he has reconciled through death to present you holy and... And blameless and above reproach. That means there's not even a hint of wrongdoing that that is on your account or in your account. You are above reproach in his sight. Now, how many of you feel like that? There's not a hint of wrongdoing in his sight. Your position. How many of you feel like that this morning? Well, you may not feel like it, But if you've asked Jesus in your life, it is a fact. And the Bible says your salvation is as an anchor. It's lodged in heaven. It's secure for you. And there's nothing that you can ever do, good or bad, to change that position. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Jesus' blood on the cross, he's wiped away all your sins, past, present, and future. Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished, it is done. What was done? What was finished? Everything needed to be done for you and I to be made perfect and blameless before God, and we can't do anything else to add to it. That's grace. And that's what we teach here. But so hear me out. Thank you for your patience. So, in the last 30 years, there's been a twisting of this doctrine in the Church of the United States of America, and this is it. And this is what's happened as a result. The doctrine of grace, the teaching on grace, has been twisted around like you almost take a balloon. You know, like the you know, you go to the fair or something, and those guys make little balloon things, and they twist them up in little things, and you know, put them, give them to your kids. It's it's been twisted around it's so much so that if a teacher of the word of God starts to emphasize the responsibility that Christians have to go out and live a life and do good works, if they teach about the responsibility Ability that a Christian has to go out and make a radical sacrifice for Jesus if they go out and they speak about the responsibility that Christians have to lay down their lives for each other. All of a sudden, people have started to cry foul in the last 30 years. And and, and what they've become like the grace police. And anytime anyone starts talking about too much about Christian responsibility, about going out and doing, going out and sacrificing, going out and laying down your life for one another, and loving, they cry foul. That's the law. We've been freed from the law. Christ has freed it from it. Don't put us back under the law. We were saved from that. And let me tell you the effect that this has had on the church and on the United States of America. And yeah, I believe it seeped into our church. It has made us fat, lazy, and loveless. And weak. Why weak? Now back to our verses. What does verse 22 and 23 say? Why weak? It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. We're weak because we're not loving one another, and as a result, we're not seeing answered prayer. Plain and simple. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and do this sin because I know God's already forgiven me for it. How many of you have said that in your life? I mean, many of us. I know, man, I, I'll raise my hand. I've said it many times. And you know, we graduate from that and and, and, but then we graduate from that and we start doing something which is more or less the same. It just doesn't sound as bad. You know, I know that brother's hurting, but I really don't have the time to help out. Thank God I'm living under grace. I know that sister's hurting, but, you know, she's really not my type. She's really aggravating. She's so time-consuming. She's not really like me. I'm really too tired. Thank God. Thank God I'm living under grace. I know I should be giving more. I know I should be tithing. I know I should be sacrificing and reaching out. Thank God I'm under grace. This is it. This is what has become. This is, ha- this is a result of this twisted kind of teaching. You talk too much about responsibility and the grace police go, oh, no, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not grace. What about this verse? This is Jesus. Luke fourteen thirty three. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Oh, my. How do we take that verse and somehow make it Conform with what you know. Our teacher on grace is. So let me get close and personal with you. About two years ago, a little under two years ago, I got up here and I quoted this book. It's called One Way Love. It's by Tullian Trevillion, Billy Graham's grandson. My father um, attended his church, was in his church, and so I quoted from this. And and the and the. The subtitle here is inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world. And it has some it has some really good stuff in here. It does. Because it's exhausting trying to earn what God has already given us for free. It's true. That's exhausting. My father uh, attended this church and you know he sent me this book and, and we actually sold it sold a bunch of copies I quoted it but you know there was a couple things in, in the book that I made me a little nervous. There are a couple quotes. One of them was that, that was this Grace doesn't make demands. It just gives Grace doesn't make demands. It just gives. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says grace demands everything. That's what, we, that's what we just read up there. And as, because my father went to the church, I, I you know, he, he would tell me, you know, listen to this sermon, listen to that sermon, and I became increasingly uncomfortable with the ministry. Because it was the same thing. There was that distinct feeling from the teachings that, man, if, if you go out and you start teaching, unless you forsake everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Oh, man, this guy, I think this guy would have a huge issue with that. And then my father himself started getting nervous with his teaching. That he left out the doctrine of sanctification, which means... The process of growing by dying to ourselves and becoming more like Christ. It just seemed not to be evident. And then some national uh, leaders, including Tim Keller, started calling the guy out, saying, This is unbalanced. Your teaching is unbalanced. Well, a month and a half ago, he resigned because it was found that he was in an extramarital affair. My dad's pastor. And I hate to tell you this, but I wasn't surprised. Because bad theology leads to bad behavior. Bad theology leads to bad behavior. And it's tragedy. You know, there's three kids pray for them. And, you know, they're separated now. And, of course, the church, that that whole thing. It's just such a tragedy what happens in churches. It just breaks my heart. These things make me physically sick when I hear about them. But that is the kind of consequence that we earn from that kind of bad teaching. There's a consequence to not loving one another and it is this. We will stop Receiving from the Lord. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about the costs of following Jesus. You know, Supreme Court decisions, things like that. You know, are you willing to pay the cost? That's a good thing to think about. Are you willing to pay the cost? But are you also willing to pay the cost of not following Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? The cost of not following Jesus is pretty se- severe. No answered prayer, among other things. Or no, no expectation of answered prayer. And this is not, a, by the way, this is not a teaching that's foreign to the Bible. Uh, the Bible says on numerous occasions, in First Peter, husbands don't love your wives, your prayers are going to be hindered. And Isaiah, same thing. Isaiah says the same thing. If, you, if, if, if you're not loving, if you're sitting... God says, I don't hear your prayers. Psalms says the same thing. God is serious about this loving one another thing. Because when we do it, we show a picture to the world of Jesus dying on the cross. When we don't do it, the world doesn't get that picture. He's really serious about this stuff. And I was so blessed uh, this morning, I'm gonna close with this. In Isaiah fifty eight, same message. Isaiah, who spoke so much about Jesus himself, it says this. And yeah, you can turn there with me. It's the middle of your Bible. I hear some turning pages. It's the middle of your Bible, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 58 verse 3 says this, and this is God quoting the church people, the temple people. He's quoting them as saying this, well, why have we fasted? So God is saying, this is what I'm hearing from you. Why have we fasted, they say? And you have not seen. In other words, why are we praying? Why are we fasting? And we're not, we're not getting anything in return. Why have we afflicted our souls and you have taken no notice? So God is quoting back to them what he's hearing from them. And then he says, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and you exploit all your labors. In other words, the people who work with, for you, you're just treating them really bad. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. Go on to verse 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? Now he's going to describe to him what fasting or what worshiping or what following him really is like to a person who has received the grace of God. Is this not the facet I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your hu- to, uh, to your house the poor who are cast out? What, let the poor inside my house? My house is my castle. God gave me this house. It's not your house, it's God's house. Verse 7 continues, when you see the naked, that you cover him and, and do not hide yourself from your own flesh, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Middle of verse 9. If you take away the yoke, meaning the burden, from your midst, in other words, if you help carry the burden of your brothers and sisters in your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul in strength and strengthen your bones. And listen, you shall be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That one's so good. I want to put it up on the projector. Isaiah 58, 11, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Is that familiar to anyone? It is to me because it sounds a lot to me like verse 19 of first John, um, chapter three, where he, uh, where he says, and, and by this, we know that we are of the truth that are, that and shall assure our hearts before him. And then verse 21 says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Meaning, we're like a watered garden. We're like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We're, we have confidence for, before God. And then the next verse, and what are we, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And this is what I see with those men and women who follow the Lord. They have received the grace of God. They've received the abundant life and they're just, Pouring out what they've received. What was the song that we sang right before the message? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Blow through the caverns of my soul and, flo- and, and, and flow so that there is an overflowing from my life. So that we're like here, a living manifestation of verse 21 and 22 of 1 John 3. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask, we receive from him. And oh man, have we seen this. Have we seen brothers and sisters who are giving out, laying down their life for their brothers and and in their community. God just pouring into their lives. We've seen that. You shall be like a, a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Okay, I am going to close there. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And if you've been asked to pray as a prayer couple, if you could come up at this time. And what I'd like to do is this. At the end of our services, you know, I just, I don't know. I just want to have a, I don't want our morning service to be like a Bible study. It's more than that. It's worship, it's prayer, it's meeting the Lord. That's what it is. It's, it's opening up our hearts to God and saying, Lord, uh, come in and, and, and do a work. What I want to do now is first I want to ask if there's anybody here who has never in their life opened up their heart and said, Jesus, Jesus, Come in. Again, Revelation 320. Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. Anyone who opens up the door, I will come in and I'll have dinner with them. (laughs) I didn't do that till I was twenty-two years old, even though I spent the better part of my Sundays of my life going to different churches. I never asked, said, okay, Jesus, take over, I give you everything. It's no longer gonna be about my way, it's your way. I believe what you did on the cross for me. I believe that but for your death and resurrection, I am hopelessly lost and condemned for eternity, and I need you. If you've never done that before, your eternity is at stake. Where you're gonna be for all eternity is at stake. You need Jesus and his cleansing power And the blamelessness that comes by faith in him, you need that in your life, I promise you. And if you've never done that, I just want you to come up and we can pray. It's a short prayer of faith. The Bible says we're we're saved by a prayer of of faith from our heart and not by any good works that we can do. But also I just want to continue along these lines to just pray about this loving one another thing which God is so serious about, we've learned the last few weeks. If there is a person in your life, particularly a brother, sister in Christ, anywhere, wherever they are, whether this church or anywhere, where you're holding on to unforgiveness, come up and pray. Or if you know that you know that you know that you are not actively loving and serving, if 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 you know that you know that you know that you're lazy, fat, and comfortable when it comes to serving, come up here. You know, I speak to my own heart as well. Come up here, and we'll pray for you. If you feel like you've had a dry prayer life, I like haven't seen the hand of the Lord. Could it be that there's that you have a loveless heart, that you're not taking this loving one another thing seriously. Come up and pray about it. Why don't we stand for the closing worship song and we'll pray. If you want to pray, uh, you come up. I'm going to close us with a closing uh, prayer and then you can come up if you'd like. If not, just stand where you are and worship the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your grace. Lord, not only did we strike you upside the head a thousand times by choosing our way? You, God Almighty, instead of your ways. Not only did you take the punishment for us doing that, to that agonizing death on the cross, but you rose from the dead and you poured out blessings out your spirit grace we thank you for that but father we don't want to abuse that grace we don't want to be a part of this twisted American wrong teaching of grace we don't want to wind up falling into grievous sin in our life because we've grown so lazy, fat, and comfortable, Lord, we ask, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Blow through the cabins.